0: I was listening to a guy the other day that he said that I stopped at a gas station for directions. Got my directions and got one mile from the gas station and ran out of gas. Now his gauge was working. What's his problem? He wasn't paying attention to the gauge. He wasn't monitoring his gauge. Now this is where you and I have to be right now in this time is monitoring our spiritual gauge as to whether or not we're full with the old, I'm talking about the wise and foolish virgins. You know, y'all looked at this last Wednesday night. Say amen to that. Turn to Matthew 25. You got it. Now look at this. I'm going to read it real quickly. I'm not going to preach what Bro Joel did. He did a wonderful job of that. and I'm just going to show you what the Lord began to show me about this. Then she'll come. Now we're in this day prophetically. By uh, to me, we're not just nearing that midnight hour, but we're just right on the brink of it. We're approaching a highly prophesied time. And this is the prophesied time that Jesus talked about. Jesus, this was an important enough prophecy that Jesus prophesied it. Are you hearing me? Yeah. We're at the time that Jesus prophesied about. I mean, this, this is one thing for this man to prophesy of that one. But this was Jesus' prophetic word. And we're right now in that, that hour. Okay, now let's read it with that in mind. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. All ten were virgins. That means they were all ten believers. They obviously were pure. They took their lamps... And they went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, let me just say this too. You might want to jot this down somewhere in the margin so you always remember this. The tradition was that when a bridegroom called the guest into the the wedding facility or whatever you want to call it, but when he would call them into that chamber, it was generally always going to be at the midnight hour. Now, Joel talked about it being the midnight hour being, because you made a statement that really resonated in my spirit. You said, some people say, well, it's just so dark. Well, of course it's dark. It's midnight, Joel said. You don't, you don't fuss with the fact that things are bad out there in the world. It's the midnight hour. The yeah. Bible says, this. he chose you and me to be in the generation of the midnight hour. Amen. Amen. So by tradition, the bridegroom always came at the midnight hour, or around, generally around the midnight hour. That's why they always had to have their lamps. We're going to read about this in just a minute. Now their lamps, you might go ahead and write this down so that when we read it we can see it. Their lamps were ran, you've you got to catch this, they were ran by olive oil. And olive oil is a type of the Holy Spirit which is a type of the Word because the Spirit and the Word agree. Yes. Let, let me just take it. Hold your finger there at Matthew 25. Flip over to 1 John chapter 5 right quick. 1 John. First epistle of John right quick. 1 John chapter 5. Look at the. Actually go back to the 7th verse. I was going to read just the 8th but let's do 7 and 8. You need to see this. Say it with me. Say the Word and the Spirit agree. The word and the Spirit agree. All right, here we go. Ready? There are three, verse 7 says, there's three that bear record in heaven. Those are the three you better get your information from. There's three that bear record in heaven. It's the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, and these three are one. So the Word and the Spirit will always agree. Keep reading. Verse 8 says, and and there's three that bear witness in the earth, and that is the Spirit and the water and the blood. These three agree in one. But verse 7 is what I want you to center on. The Holy Ghost and the Word and the Father, these three are one. So the Holy Spirit will always lead you in line with the Word of God. To be led outside or away from the Word is not the Holy Spirit. That's right. Okay, now go back to Matthew. So we're in this time, a prophesied time that Jesus prophesied, verse 1 again. He said, Matthew 25, 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be like ten virgins, which took their lamps, and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now you've got two things written down. The tradition was usually around the midnight hour he'd call for them. And you've got to have your lamp. That's why they had the lamp, because it was dark. The lamp was operated on olive oil, which is a type of the Holy Spirit, which is always going to be in agreement with the word, right? All right. So five of them were wise and five were foolish. So Jesus prophesies there's coming a time and we're in this prophetic shift right now where there's going to be a division between the wise and the foolish virgins. Wise choices, foolish choices. What is the devil doing? He's able to pull, he's not able to pull the wise virgins, but he's able to pull the foolish virgins, Far enough away to catch them without oil. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they've got to be compromising the word somewhere yes. to not get that. Because, you know, you talked about those that buy the oil and you have to go or sell the oil and you have to go buy. Well, let's read the, let's read the whole parable. Verse 2 again. Five of them were wise. Five were foolish. I'm going to read that verse again. And when I say wise or when I say foolish, you, you kind of chime in on whichever group you're part of. Five of them were wise. Amen. Five of them were foolish. Verse 3. They that were foolish took their lamps, just like the rest of them, but they took no oil, no Holy Spirit, no word with them. But the wise took oil in their lamps, in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Now I'm going to show you a scripture where the Apostle Paul says we don't need to be those that sleep at all because it's too dangerous. You'll get caught up in this. Verse 6 says, And at midnight there was a cry made. We're about to hear that cry in the body of Christ. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. You know what that means, of course. Adjusted their flame, right? And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us some of your oil, some of your word, some of your Holy Spirit that you've been drawing from God, for our lamps are gone out ran out of fuel, right? Yes. They, they weren't obviously weren't monitoring their gauges. But the wise answered saying, no, we can't give you any of ours lest there be not enough for us and you, but you go and rather sell to, uh, to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to do that, the bridegroom came, they that were ready went in with him into the marriage and the door was shut. Boom. Afterward came also the other virgin saying, Lord, Opened to us and he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I don't even know you. Wow. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Wow. Now something about when that door shuts that has the sound of finality. Yeah. You know, if you've, if you've ever been in jail, I don't know about this, Susan told me about it, but <laughs> if you've ever been in jail, it's something about when they close that door and it locks that just has the sound of finality to it. And of course, if you had a long sentence, you know, like a friend of mine was sentenced to a very long time, one time I, I knew another guy that was sentenced to life without parole. And I saw him just, just after he saw, had grand jury and he was fixing to be shipped off to Kilby from there on into the prison system. And, I mean, it's, a, it's just a sound of finality when you hear that thing knowing that you're not getting out. And this is what happened with these people. They were in a situation where the opportunities were over because they had made foolish decisions wow. rather than wise choices. So we're nearing that midnight hour, approaching a highly prophesied time. A shift. Now, write some of this down just to jot down some things to think about. A shift is taking place right now in the body of Christ. I can say that from being active in the ministry. There's a shift taking place. What do you mean a shift? The word shift simply means a change. There's a change taking place right now. And incidentally, that change is the division between the wise and the foolish virgins. Some oiling up their lamps, keeping full of the word, moving deeper into the word. Others allow themselves to be depleted or void of the oil of the word. How do you do that? By compromising the word for other things or another word. You remember that the Apostle Paul warned us about the dangers of another gospel. I had a had a man tell me that, that was here just sitting right here a few weeks back and he's visiting that day with some family and he said, Brother James, he said, I go to, uh, I think it was the Highlands Church, Birmingham, I believe is what he said. And he said, you know, but he said, we don't get what we grew up on. We don't get the Word. And he said, I wish we could get here. They live way on the other side of Birmingham. And he said, but we've got to get somewhere the Word. Why? Because he needs to get the Word of God. Yes. Stay with the Word. Paul warned us about the dangers of another gospel. Let's take a minute and look at that. Look at Genesis. Excuse me, Galatians chapter 1. Now, think of the, the book of Galatians. And I want to show you a couple of places in Galatians. But think about the Galatian epistle being an epistle that was written directly to a compromising church. They were, they were a church that began to compromise the word of faith for another gospel. Right. They began to swap it for another message. Now, look, look how he said this. And Now, this, I'm telling you, Brother Joel, that message you preached last Wednesday night is what sparked this on the inside of me. I realized that's where we are right now. We're in that hour. Yes. And I got to looking at some things. Now, things I'm going to bring out to you tonight will help you identify it too. Yes. But incidentally, that division is the wise and the foolish that are separating right now. Galatians chapter one, Paul warned us about this. In verse, uh, start with verse six. He said, "I marvel." Now he's talking to a compromising church, compromising Christians, compromising. I'm going to deal with that in just a minute. Stay with me. He said, "I marvel, I'm amazed that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another one. But there be some that troubled you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, Paul said." Or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which then what we've preached to you, let that person be accursed, which means go to hell forever, separated from God. A curse means separated from God eternally. Yes. And as we said before, so I'm going to tell you again, he said in verse 9, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that what you've received, let him go to hell. Wow. Then he said, verse 10, but doing that do I now persuade men or God? Am I trying to please men, or am I trying to please God? For if I pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. But I certify, or I give you certification, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me didn't come from man. I didn't receive it of man, neither was I taught it by man, but it came to me directly by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation, Paul said, my lifestyle, my ministry, in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God, and I wasted it and profited it in the Jews' religion above many of my equals. You know, Paul was on the way to be the high priest and in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous than all the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately, I didn't confer with people, flesh and blood. I didn't discuss that with people. He said, I just went straight with God and got my message from him. And he said, don't separate from that through a compromise. And he said, I can't imagine that you would do that. He, so he warned them of the dangers of another gospel. Yeah. And we call that compromise. Wow. Just a couple of things to jot down real quickly to think about. When you talk about compromise among a word of faith believer, a spirit-filled believer, a person that believes the word is what produces life, when you start compromising, what you've done first of all is you've left your first love. Yeah, that's right. you, you left the first thing you fell in love with, who is Jesus. You left your first love, Jesus, And then, of course, the Word of God, because Jesus is the Word of God. Listen, don't ever think that you can separate Jesus and the Word. Forget it. You can't do it. Just let me show you a couple of scriptures on it. Look at John chapter 1, 14. John's Gospel. Now, this is back up to John's Gospel, chapter 1. We'll come right back to Galatians, so if you want to hold your place there, you can. Otherwise, it'll be there when you come back to it anyway. John chapter 1. Verse 14, I, I could quote this to you, but it's just good to let your eyes fall on it. Verse 14, but the word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Now underline that first part, the word was made flesh and that is a reference to Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the word made flesh. He's the word in a flesh body. Or Here's a way of saying it, Jesus is the word personified. The words become a person. Yes. Now let me show you another one on that. Look at Revelation chapter 19, I believe it is. We just finished up reading together the book of Revelation a few weeks ago. And that was exhilarating again to go back through that prophetic scripture. Warning about the last days. Reading the book of Revelation right now is almost like watching the news broadcast. Yeah. It is tied into it. Things are ready. The 200 million men army, everything set up. Uh, 1993, uh, Hilton Sutton said to me, he said that, you know, he said, when I was a little boy, we used to say Jesus is coming soon. He said we'd sing that song about it. But he said, never has, now this was in 93, he said, never has the Bible prophecies been fulfilled like they are today. That was in 93. And boy, here we are, you know, all these years later, 20, what is it, 26 years later. It's amazing the prophetic fulfillments of Scripture. Revelation has come to pass. Well, here we are. Look at this. But Jesus is the word. You, if you leave your first love, you've left the word. That's right. let, let me show you, too. If you've left the first love, Jesus is your first love, but that's the word, and here's why. Just because of time, look at one verse, verse 13. Talking about Jesus, he was clothed with a vesture that had been dipped in blood, a vesture or a breastplate, dipped in blood. Underline this, if you haven't already got it underlined. And his name, Jesus' name, is called the word of God. His name is the word. You can't separate Jesus and the word. So compromise is when you leave your first love. Jesus is the word of God. That's the first love that people are separated from to be that foolish virgin. You can't make that mistake. Show me a Christian that's compromising the word, and I'll show you somebody that's in for bigger problems. And it's just a matter of time. Show me a Christian. I mean, I'm telling you this from 40 years of experience, nearly, 39 and a half if you want to be exact. But over 39 and a half years, I can tell you this from experience. Show me a Christian compromising the word and they're about to experience bigger problems. It just is a matter of, simply a matter of time is all it is. What does it cost you to compromise? Well, you have to go back to Galatians. I told you it was going right back to Galatians. The book of Galatians, that little epistle, is an epistle written to compromising Christians to try to straighten them out. Chapter one, he got on to him about compromising, but when he gets to the third chapter, I never saw it like this until today, Brother Joel. There's a list I'm about to give you, show you in this chapter, in the third chapter of what you compromise when you compromise the word. Wow. Yeah. You ready for this list? So what do you compromise? What does it cost you to compromise the word, to give up on the on the word? What does it come what do you what do you compromise to do that? When you make what, excuse me, what do you lose when you compromise? Well, here, yeah, it is everything. You'll see it's all summed up in this. And because of time again, I'm just going to start with, well, I'm going to start with the first verse. Oh, foolish Galatians. Notice he calls them foolish. That's an interesting remark, isn't it? Especially when we're talking about wise and foolish virgins. And I, 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 I didn't write the Bible. Don't get mad at me. How, how do they say it now? Don't sorry. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. just the messenger. Look at this. He says, wow, foolish Galatians. Obviously, they're making a foolish choice, which is what happened in Matthew 25 with the wise and the foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Mm -hmm. To a compromising church, he said, you've been bewitched and don't know it. Now, the only experience most of us have with the word bewitched is, how many of you grew up with a movie back in the, I don't know what year, 60s and early 70s, I guess, called Bewitched. And uh, our children didn't watch that later, the reruns, because we had learned the dangers of, of things like that. And so we avoided that, never, never, so my children know nothing about that movie. But I did in the, I guess, 60s and, and grew up with that. So I knew it had to do with witchcraft, but it certainly does here in the scripture too. Paul says, you've been bewitched to make these kind of compromises that these Christians had made. Look at it, it says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Let, um, let me read further and then I'll give you the full definition of the word bewitched. But let's go further. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's the answer to that? The faith. Faith is the answer. You, you receive the Holy Spirit by faith. I never read it like this until today when you start compromising the word. First thing that goes is the Spirit. You got the Spirit by faith, you compromise the faith, you lose the Spirit. Wow. Foolish Galatians. He wasn't using that term foolish lightly. You know, we're instructed in the Scriptures not to call people fools. You might remember the dangers that Jesus talked about that? The dangers of calling somebody a fool in the Sermon on the Mount? All right. And so it's a real dangerous thing. So I don't think the Apostle Paul would have lightly called these people foolish, put them in the category of foolish, unless they were making a foolish decision. He said, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Verse 2, This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or did you get it by the hearing of faith? Oh, foolish. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain if it yet be in vain? Did you get all that learning just to lose it in latter years? Verse 5, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you. Does He do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? By faith. faith. You know what He said? In this list, He said, miracles, you lose miracles. And that's the only calling card we got to win this world before Jesus comes back. You lose miracles when you compromise. You lose the working or the ministering of the Spirit when you do that. He goes right on saying to this compromising church in verse 6, he says, even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, why is he telling this to this compromising group? Why is he telling them this? Because you lose your inheritance as Abraham's seed when you compromise. That's right. Wow. Verse 8, and the Scripture, the Bible itself, not a person now, this is the scripture, the person of Jesus certainly, but the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. The scripture itself proclaimed, preached the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Verse nine, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, the compromising one loses the blessing. Wow, wow. All right. Write down this list. I just gave you a few of them. Listen to this. This is what it says and what we just read. The Holy Spirit's active ministry is lost when you compromise. The life of the Spirit traded for the life of the flesh when you compromise. The ministering of the Spirit, who ministered to you the Spirit, how did they do it? Miracles righteousness is compromised or your right standing with God is compromised when you, you know, is lost when you compromise. As I said, your inheritance as a child of Abraham or seed of Abraham. Justification, it says down there in that eighth, uh, ninth verse. Justification and then finally the blessing. All because, he said, you got bewitched. Now, you want to hear the definition to bewitched? Do you all want to hear the definition? Interested. This is interesting. The word bewitched is just as evil as the title to that sitcom in the 60s. It means to be fascinated by or captivated by, wow. charmed, attracted, or mesmerized. Okay, you, you, if you don't understand that, listen to this definition. This is all in the Greek. Literally it means to exercise, to be bewitched means that someone has exercised evil power over someone like putting them under a spell. Bewitching them through the use of evil power. Literally put in the Greek, it means putting someone under a spell so they no longer could think or act according to reason. A compromised church, a compromised Christian is one that has been put under a spell and they no longer make rational or right uh, reasonable decisions. Wow. And that's exactly what we're talking about tonight, is exactly how the separation of the foolish versions and the wise versions take place. Wow. And Joel brought that out last Wednesday night. I'm just re preaching some of the things he said to you. It's literally from the compromise. Yeah, yes. Why would you compromise? It doesn't look like a compromise to the bewitched one, uh-huh. they're under a spell and don't see it was listening to that yesterday, Joel, and, and I said to Susan, I said, you know, that's why this happens to people. As a church now, we're pastors. Susan and I are pastors. We, and that's what we're called to do. I, I wouldn't have stayed with it this long. She so wouldn't either. If It wasn't our calling. And so I was thinking about this today because there's a lot of churches, what they call the modern churches, you know, the churches that serve beer to get people to come into church nowadays. You got a lot of them doing that. And you got them, uh, Somebody told Creflo the other day, said, if you want to have more people in the church, you need to serve popcorn and preach shorter messages. Creflo said, I'm not serving popcorn and I'm going to preach the truth because you are responsible to come and hear the truth and it's your responsibility to rightly divide the truth. Joel said it last Wednesday night. He he said, when Pastor James teaches something, he said, I don't just take it because Brother James said, I go right home and, and study it out myself. You know, I've been that, I'm, and that's a good thing. I've been that same way. Brother Copeland, I got saved under Brother Copeland's ministry. I will dance with Brother Copeland until the day I go to heaven. I'm not separating from him. That's where my salvation came. That's where my healing came. That's where miracles came in my life. That's where the baptism of the Holy Ghost came from. And I'm not separating from it. But from, from the first day I got saved till this present day, nearly 40 years after my salvation, he doesn't say anything that I don't say. Let me go, i got to go check that out with the Word first. You know, I mean, he ain't going to take it just because it's Brother Copeland. And and I like the way Brother Joel put it. He said, I don't go to pro- I'm not out there just to prove Brother James wrong. That's not my point. He said, I don't go for that reason. I go there to prove that it is scriptural. Yes. And that's the way you do it. And boy, you come and you come back from that, you get fed on it. And I got thinking about that. I, and Creflo said their responsibility, he said, my responsibility as a as a pastor is to give the truth, and the responsibility of the people. I don't care about you popcorn and all that stuff. You can go get that wherever you want to. But he said, my responsibility is to preach the word because your responsibility is to see to it that it is the word and rightly divide that word so you'll know how to get it to work for you. And when I was studying that out and thinking about that, the Lord said to me, he said, that's what's different in Jasper Christian Center is you're not a church that's trying to fulfill anything other than a divine assignment. I don't have to be the biggest church in town. I, I you know, because there's so much nowadays. And I know this is a sidetrack to you, but there's so much nowadays about should Christians drink, or is it okay to drink, or you know, alcohol or not, and and you know, this can you still be saved and drink alcohol? Well, even even science, uh, I read an article even today. Science is is coming out with more better information than most preachers are in this kind of thing. I read just today that. They are now science. What I mean is people that, you know, scientifically study out, and this not preachers now, this is scientific information I'm giving you, that more people die by alcohol related things than opium or any other drug. Wow. And said wow. but but alcohol doesn't get the bad route, but the opium does and everything else does. And, and I'm talking about opium was over eighty-eight, thousand, I think, a year wow. die from drug related it's drug related deaths. Wow. But alcohol has more than that and it doesn't get the bad route because it's accepted, socially accepted. You understand what I'm saying? And so, so you got all this going on. And I told Susan the other day, I would rather have a small church and be known as the non-compromising group Amen. than to have the largest church in town and know that we don't even live. I told you about, uh, you all remember this, but it's just worthy of repetition now. I heard uh, Andrew Womack said that he was invited to go preach at a church, had 3,000 people in church on Sunday morning, a big church in a big city. I forgot what city he said. But anyway, so he said, I preached on Sunday morning. I was, I was scheduled to preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. And he said, I preached Sunday morning, and he said, we went out to lunch, the pastor and I went out to lunch after I preached to his 3,000 church members. Now, Joel, this is interesting. He said, I preached to his 3,000 church members, and said, I told the pastor, I said, Pastor, if you'd let me stay a week instead of just, you know, today and tonight. He said, if you'd let me stay a week, I could get your church down to about 300 people for you. <laughs> he said, get my church down to 300 people. Why would you, I'm, you know, worked all my life trying to get up to 3,000. What do you mean you want to get it down to 300? He said, you ain't got but 300 saved in that church. He said, you got over 2700 people. I'm just saying the majority of your people not even born again people. Because wow. you've done everything to bring them in, see. Wow. And he said, uh, and so I, I just made that decision years ago. I said, Lord, we're not a compromising church. I'm, all I'm called to do is do what God told me to do and hold the fort. Susan and I have a personal phrase that we use when, when people come or go and do things, you know, and, and we just say, well, our job is to keep the, keep the thing going, keep it going. Our job is to keep going. If you want to jump on, you can jump on and jump off. That's up to you. But the idea is our job is to keep it going. Yes. And just keep the ministry going, doing what God's called us to We've got a divine assignment. Amen. And and so my assignment isn't to see how many sinners I can get being church members. That's right. Amen. Now now don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about see how many sinners we can get saved, but I'm just saying get them comfortable in here and just live like you want to do and, and just I'm not running a country club. Amen. Amen. You hear me? Yeah, it's not a, not a compromise. We're not doing a compromise. And when I, when I was looking at that, the Lord said to me, he said, James, he said, as a church, he said, you offer, now this, this was just for Jasker Christian Center, every church is different. He said, you offer 104 services a year on average. 104, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday morning and Wednesday night, you offer 104 services a year. Now, not, I'm not going to mention Women of the Word, another eight, you know, in the month and in, in special services occasionally. We don't do a lot of that, but two or three times a year, maybe might have two or three meetings extra like we did the Night of Miracles or something like that. But on average, we'll just say 104 services a year yeah. of Holy Ghost-inspired ministry yeah. comes from the pulpit. Yeah. If you compromise and you don't go, you know, you're the Wednesday night crowd, but if you don't go to church on Wednesday night, you've already cut that in half. You're getting down 52 a year. Yeah. And if you work a few Sundays and, and stay out a few Sundays, you're only getting 30 services out of 104 and yeah. think you're making Holy Ghost decisions. Yeah. You're not qualified to make Holy Ghost decisions yeah. without, without being more uh, fed than that. See, that's, that's the, that was what made the difference. Joel preaches What made the difference in the wise and the foolish? They didn't stay with the Word. So when it came time that the, bride, that the midnight hour came and the bridegroom called, they were out looking for word and were having to buy it from people that make a... a how did you put it? But I know the scripture I'm thinking about. How they, You make a... They use the gospel for means of gain. For means of gain. That's what I was trying to remember. Because there's a scripture that says about us is that you're not those that use the word that way. But there are people that use the word of God for gain. For their own personal gain. And, and Paul made a statement about that. He said, they don't care whether you saved or lost, but they just make a gain off of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, I was listening to this quote today. I read, I ran across this. Some, a friend of mine posted this. He said, when you compromise church, your attendance, now that's where you get fed. You know, you go and you got 104 services and you're compromising on average 50. You know, you got to, you, you just got to make some right decisions. He said, when you compromise church, it's most, it's most likely your children will consider Jesus as a non-important item in their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. When you compromise church as a parent, it's most likely your children will not see Jesus as an important issue in their life. Wow. Right. Well, now, how do you know? Now, let's say your children are grown. How do you know if they're not making the right decisions? Well, look at the level of fear they operate under when a problem arises. What level of fear? Oh, my God, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Well, there's no faith in them, see. In other words, Jesus don't even seem like an answer to them. Look at the level of fear that they operate on. And another one, not only just the level of fear, but here's another one. Look at how little they demonstrate real Bible faith. And there's only one kind of real Bible faith. That's violent faith. Violent faith. There's no such thing. I've told you that so many times, but, I mean, I'm talking about from the Bible from front to back. You Look at everybody that got something from Jesus. There was no such thing as a passive faith. And if you've got children that they're like, first of all, they don't even think a scripture would help their situation, yeah. then somewhere they've been grown up under compromise. Yeah, 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 that's right. and, or if you've got children that they don't see that, the need to say, "Well in Jesus' name, I'm standing on this scripture. I'm telling I'm, you know what, I'm going to tear the devil up with this thing. He's going to be wishing he ain't messed with me, but if they don't fighting like that, they're not even operating in faith. Right. So you gotta you gotta say, well maybe maybe as a parent I'm setting a wrong example in front of them. So how can you tell? Look at their level of fear and look at how little they demonstrate real faith. Yeah. And then start looking at the compromises that they're seeing, and you'll see why that's happening. That's right. Now, here's what I wanted to get to because this was interesting to me. When I was studying this out yesterday evening, the Lord said, I'm gonna show you the most vulnerable target, what Satan's most vulnerable target is. To separate now. Remember the ten virgins; they were all virgins. Now that means they were all pure. These are all people of God, and yet Jesus. But yet the, the in the parable it says, "I never knew you." Well, what happened? Now, now the word "knew you" it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I never was acquainted with you, never met you. You remember Jesus said that even on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, let me let me show you something if I got time just for a moment. I'll show you something else here. Look at Matthew just for a minute. Hold your place there, and we might come back to this. Oh, here it is. Yeah, Matthew chapter seven. Here it is. Right at the tail end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You remember Jesus made this powerful statement, and, and most of you are like me, never did like it. Verse 21. This is Matthew seven twenty one. Tell me when you're there, would you? Amen. Thank you. Verse 21. Not everyone, he says, that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord... Lord, we've prophesied. Have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name didn't we cast out devils? And in your name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Remember that? I never knew you. Let, let me tell you something real plain. There's no human that's ever been born on this planet that God doesn't know who you are. Well, you true. can forget and that. Man. That's not what and this is talking about. There's certainly no person that's ever been if the virgins represent the righteous, there's never been a person in the body of Christ that God doesn't know who you are. Right. And so when he turns and says to a person, because they've become the foolish virgin, he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. It doesn't mean I never have been acquainted with you, but it means I have no intimacy with you. And real intimacy is only in, in true heart worship. Wow. Amen. In other words, you don't have a heart-working relationship with me, wow. and so we don't have this relationship. Right. Doesn't mean I never knew you. I've just never been, you know, don't have anything intimate with you. And that's your choice, not Jesus. Amen. Now, I want to show you what's the most vulnerable. Now, now think, look at it real quickly because I'm not going to keep you long here. We're fishing to go home. But if so, if the ten virgins represent people that were virgins, that, that certainly puts them in a righteous group or a clean group, pure group. And five become wise and five become foolish, it didn't because they didn't have lamps, it's because they didn't keep providing for the oil in it. How long did they keep oil? I don't know how long they did. They might have done it all their life until this point. But at this point, they had not made provision for their oil, which is the Holy Spirit and the Word, agree. And they separated from that. Now watch it now. And so he divides it right down the middle. It's interesting to me he didn't say, you know, six and four or three and and seven or whatever. But he said five and five, half. You're going to see that. He said that's the prophetic time in the body of Christ that you've come to where the shift is, where there's that division between the wise and the foolish. And look at this now who's the most vulnerable target then that Satan targets pull away so he can pull them away into that foolish crowd who can be now this is what the Holy Spirit said to me this morning early or spoke to me yesterday and then began to show it to me in the scriptures this morning he said who's the most vulnerable the easiest attacked who is the most vulnerable and he said it's this the most wealthiest that trust in their riches wow. now it's not not ever be, not, not not wrong to be wealthy don't misunderstand me Remember, Jesus, turn real quickly with me to this, Mark chapter uh, 10, yeah, Mark chapter 10. Oh, I'm sorry, did you come for a feel-good message tonight? (laughs) This is, it ought to make you feel good, because you're making the right, you're not foolish, you're wise, you're smart as, you know, you can be. You remember when Jesus, and we just read this, I believe it was Sunday or last Sunday before, I can't remember, but do you remember when we uh, read this about the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and good master, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, there's only one thing you lack, you know, verse 21. Jesus, beholding him, loved him, said, one thing they lack, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow me, remember? Verse 22 says he was sad at that saying when Jesus invited him into the ministry. Now, it's interesting that this last phrase in verse 21, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus only, he was being a rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. You know, they called him Rabboni. Being a rabbi, have you ever read the Bible like this? Have you ever think about this when Jesus is starting out his ministry and he comes up to two fishermen, for example, James and John and Peter, and just he looks at a fisherman, not a seminary graduate. He looks at a fisherman and says, Follow me, and Peter just loses everything and follows him. Yeah. Yeah. Or oh, the tax collector, Matthew, Levi, sitting there at the tax, taking taxes off people, and Jesus says, Follow me, and he just leaves that and gets up. I mean, isn't that just kind of amazing? But really, it wasn't some spell that Jesus cast on them. He doesn't operate in bewitching. Everybody that was an Israelite understood that if a rabbi is a rabbi and he says, follow me, he's inviting you to be a part of his ministry team. And they just believed in him enough, they left and followed him. And I don't know, I got to thinking about that one day. I thought Peter, James, John, I mean, they might have always, as, as a boys. you know, they said that Adolf Hitler as a little boy wanted, it was in a tent meeting, a revival going on. As, now, Adolf Hitler in a tent meeting as a little boy where somebody's preaching the gospel and he wanted to get up as a, a, I don't remember what age, but maybe between 8 and, what age do you remember? Oh, I thought you said, but between 8 and 12, something like that. And said he wanted to go and get saved and his grandmother was there with him and said, no, son, you don't need to do that. Now, what would have been different about world history if he hadn't been permitted to do that? And, And, you know, growing up, he says all his life he wanted to be a preacher. Now, he ended up being a preacher. He just preached the wrong thing, but he wanted to go to a seminary. Well, I mean, I got to think about Peter. What if Peter, you know, always wanted to be a preacher as a boy, and he just ended up following his daddy's trade and was a fisherman. And, and when Jesus said, follow me, he's like, all right. I'm getting to do what I was called to do finally. And that's exactly probably what was happening. Jesus knew that, and that's exactly what was happening with him. And so these men began to follow him. And here Jesus says, he doesn't say this to everybody, follow me. He says it to the 12. And he says it to this man, follow me. Some people, uh, they believed, you know, I mean Bible scholars, they believed that this man was supposed to be Judas's replacement. And he said, follow me. And look at this man's response being asked to be in Jesus' ministry. Verse 22. He was sad at that saying. And he went away grieved because he had great possessions. Yeah. He was better off financially than he'd ever been. And Jesus looked round about, and then Jesus made this statement, and, and it was inspired or instigated by this man's response Negative response. Jesus said, How hard it is, or how hardly shall they that have riches, good money, enter into the kingdom of God? Well, now notice Jesus. How many of you believe Jesus never made a mistake? Most all of you responded to that. Jesus never made a mistake. So when he said how hard it is for those that have riches in the kingdom of heaven, that was really a sufficient answer to what he was responding, you know, the situation he was responding to when this man went away sad. But the disciples were questioning that. Look at verse 23. Jesus looked round about, excuse me, verse 22. He was sad at that saying, Jesus, verse 23, Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples how hard it is for those that have riches in the kingdom of God. Verse 24, and the disciples were astonished at his words. Now why would they be astonished? Because they were all Jewish people. They were well off financially. And Jesus said it's hard for people that have riches to enter into heaven. And they were astonished and they said, Jesus, they, the disciples were astonished at his words and Jesus answered again and said, no children, just, you misunderstood what I said. What I'm saying is how hard it is for them that trust in riches, he added. Yes. Now why did he say trust in riches? To clarify what he meant by that sufficient statement he had just made. It was completely sufficient. They should have understood that because it doesn't mean Riches. It means trusting in riches. So he said, children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Now let me let me say something to you. You know, if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, that that I preach it and it's scriptural. I never preach it without backing it up with scriptures. God wants you wealthy and he will let you be as wealthy as you're willing to be. He's always got a way of moving you up levels, moving you up financial levels. And, and if you had $6 billion in banks all over this world, it would not Upset him as long as you never put your trust in that. Right. Now you understand. We, you and I are clear on that Bible doctrine, right? Amen. God wants you wealthy, but let me say something to you. The more money you have, the more vulnerable you can become of trusting that money. Yeah. Now, now that doesn't negate what I just said to you. What I'm saying is, you become more vulnerable as your income increases. Amen. So you have to you have to purpose that I'm not going to make decisions based on finances. Wow. Uh, better paid to do this, to compromise the word in this area. I'm not going to make those kind of decisions. You know, uh, somebody was, I don't remember who it was or what the situation was, but I hear this almost weekly at this church. We hear it from somebody weekly. They'll say, well, I told them I'll take that new position, but there ain't no way I'm working Sunday mornings or Wednesdays. Sundays, you know, wednesdays you can forget that. I hear that often from God's people. That's the compromise you, you don't want to make, see. You say, no, I mean, I, I'd like to have that extra money, but I'm not going after it to compromise the word. Because when you start doing that, you've been bewitched. And you're under a spell and you don't make good decisions. Right. Exactly. What is Satan after? Why is he coming? Is he look does he not like your shirt you got on tonight? Why does the devil come after you? He don't like what he, He's coming for one reason. Don't you ever forget it. The book of Mark tells well Mark is one of the places. But he says the devil, the enemy, the thief comes for the word's sake. He don't care anything about you. He just wants to hinder the word from you. And if you start making those compromises, what happens? From 104 services a year, you're getting 50 or 30 or 40. Yeah. What has he done? He stole the word. Did exactly what he do. Look what he goes on to say. Keep reading. So he said, no, let me explain this. How hard it is for them, verse 24, to trust in their riches. They trust in their payday. They trust in their income. I don't need that because I'm, I'm wealthy and I can make my own decisions. I don't need God or some preacher telling me anything to do. See, it's easy for rich people to do that. Uh, poor people don't. Usually say things like that, but when you got riches, you have the Bible says a man that's got riches sometimes is harder to be won than a than a city. You can you can it, it'd be easier to take a whole city than that person, wow. because they, they their riches become a fortress around them. If you let it, now this is only if you let it, and it's hard to penetrate a person like that. You hearing me? And then Jesus explained it. Verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's not an eye of a needle like you sew with, but it was a small area in the, in the gateway. And it was, they said what it was, they would close those big temple gates, or excuse me, those big gates of the city at night so that enemies just couldn't flood in on them and fight them in the nighttime, you know. So they would close all the big gates and they had one little gate left open. It was just so big, a camel couldn't go through it. So you couldn't have a charging army come in. So to get a camel through... They said you'd have to put a rug out there and put the... Get, you rode camels. And they'd have to put the camel down on its knees, you know, like this, where it's short enough to go in. And then the men would have to pull that rug under through that eye of the needle. And that's what he was talking about. Now, can you imagine getting an army inside of a city like that? Wow. One soldier, two... He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. See? And that's why they had that. It was security. And Jesus said it's actually harder... For a cam, for, for a rich man to get into heaven, than enter the kingdom would say, than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. It's, it wow. doesn't mean it can't be done. It's just hard because you start trusting in your money or your better payday. Yeah. 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 You, you hadn't been cussed out. Till you've been cussed out by a wealthy person because they don't think they need you. And they'll just say things and treat you certain ways a lot of time, if they trust in those riches. Well, keep reading now because I'm, I'm just closing here. So it's easier, verse 25, for a camel to go through the eye of the needle for, than for a person that's got better wealth than they used to have to enter into the kingdom of God. And all those Israelites standing there were astonished out of measure because they're all wealthy, saying among themselves, well, who can be saved then? Jesus looked at them and said, well, with men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Even a rich man can make it into the kingdom. But that's the target that Satan's after because they're more vulnerable because they want to trust in their money rather than trust in God. Well, Peter began to say in verse 28, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, yeah, nobody's going to leave houses or lands and so forth and so on, mothers and wives and children and all that for the gospel's sake. Verse 30, but you'll receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, mothers, children, lands, persecutions will come with it, of course, and the world to come you'll have eternal life. But look at how he ends this statement. But with many that are first shall be last and the last will be first. So he said, now look up here at me because I can do this real quick when we go home. He said to avoid this vulnerable attack of becoming from a wise virgin to a foolish virgin, making foolish choices, being bewitched by the enemy. So that you're not vulnerable, always keep your faith in God. And Peter said, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And he said, yeah, and you're going to reap a hundredfold on everything you put in the gospel right now in this world and in the world to come eternal life. And then he adds this, but many that are first should be last. Many that are last should be first. What does he mean by this? Well, listen to this other translation just real quickly. The King James verse, many that are first should be last and last first. Now listen closely. I didn't put it on the screen tonight. You're going to have to listen. This is the easy to read version. Many people who have the highest place right now will have the lowest place in the future. Wow, now what is he prophesying? He's prophesying that you can take a, a person that's doing good in God and before you know it, they've got nothing. Because they make wrong decisions. That can happen. And then he kept going. Easy to read. It says, and the people who have the lowest place right now can have the highest place in the future. So you can go to wherever you want to go, depending on what choices you make. The message put it like this. Now, you want to write this little phrase down. The message says, Jesus said, this is once again the great reversal. The great reversal, he called it. Jesus said, the great reversal. Many who are first will end up last and the last first. Well, he's prophesying to them or prophetically speaking that you can make good choices or bad choices and it'll affect where you end up in this thing. Last can be first, first can be last, and it'll all be up to you as to where you go, but just realize that it's changed. So that's why we use that word vulnerable. Most vulnerable are not, not because they're wealthy, but because they have developed a false god by trusting in their money or their payday. And in 1 Timothy 6, just write this one down, I I better read it to you. Look at 1 Timothy, this won't take but a second, just to show you this one right quick. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he brings it out again. This is Paul now, by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit speaking through Jesus, now the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, amen. 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and now Paul, this is where Paul said some things about money, And, and it does not mean that he doesn't, God doesn't want you to prosper. But he says you've got to make sure you don't prosper the world's way. You do it God's way. Don't go through this. This is where verse 10 he says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Yes. Now notice he didn't say money's the root of all evil. He didn't say that. He said the love of it. Love is where you love it. And who are you supposed to love? God. Thank you. God. Supposed to love God, right? Yes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, it's easy for people to start loving that money, and it's a dangerous thing. And look how he says that in this entire verse, verse 10, The love of money is the root of all evil. The love that you have for God, you put that toward money, which while some covet after money, they have erred from the faith. They become foolish, haven't they? And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Now, you can have billions of dollars in the bank and never have sorrows if you use it rightly. But if you ever start trusting that, you're going to have a lot of trouble out of money. You, You hear me? And then he goes on talking about verse 12, fighting the good fight of faith. And he says some things. And then verse down to verse 17 Charge them that are rich in this world. That means they've got good money. Charge them that have got good money, Christians in the church that's got good money, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. But where do you put your trust? In the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, you know what Paul's saying? He's saying the same thing you and I are saying in here tonight. God wants you to have everything. He wants you to enjoy it, but he don't ever want you to trust in it. Keep your trust in him. And tell them, verse 18, tell rich people, he said, verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to communicate, giving from themselves. I, I found, our pastoring 40, do you all get mad at me saying that over and over? I'm, not trying, I'm just trying to tell you, I've got some experience in this yeah, thing. When yeah, I keep saying, yeah, yeah, 40 years, I've got something I can look back at a record, and I'm telling you, see. poor people, when I say poor people, I mean people with less money have been the best givers you know, all around yeah. in churches. Yeah. Now, I don't mean they give more, but remember, Jesus doesn't look at who gives the most. Yeah. Remember the widow's mite? Her was the biggest offering, but it was actually one of the probably on the less because people were putting in big offerings that day, but yet yeah, she put in her too much. Remember that story? So we know that it's not talking about that, but I'm just saying, but they're better givers. Because what, what you'll see is a lot of times if people, well I put it like this, when people have faith in their money or trust in their money, if they're church, they might, they might be a good tither, and they think they've done it when they tithe, but see that was already God's. But when it comes to offerings, they're little. I mean, I see sometimes very wealthy people giving 5 and $10 for things that are great needs. Yeah. But then I see people that don't have so much, it comes an offering, they might give half their payday away, see? Amen. Amen. And God looks at that and he thinks, well, that's neat. Well, what are they doing? See, the, the poorer person, when I'm just saying lesser, lesser area of finance, they're proving that their faith isn't in their money, their faith is in God to do it. Yeah. They're not just testing the waters, they're, they're sowing I've just seen that for a lot of times. All right, look at this. So they're laying hold. Then he says this, verse 18, tell these rich people, he said, verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. They'll get a hold of it and they won't let go of it. The foolish let go, but the wise don't let go. So tonight you have to make a decision as to whether you're one of, which of the ten you are, five of the wise or five of the foolish. You have to make that decision that you're not vulnerable so that Satan can't penetrate you. And he can't bewitch you. Somebody say amen to that. So you have to make that decision. Five were ready, full of oil, always staying with the word, putting the word first place. Other five were not ready, they were empty of oil. They made decisions to separate from the word, see. And you you don't compromise it. In closing, make sure you write this phrase down because this is what I'm trying to get across to you. Watch your gauge. Remember, don't run out of gas. best way to do that is keep an eye on your gauge. You start training young people to drive a car, it's sometimes hard to get them to learn to keep an eye on those gauges. And, and you know, you not only need to know there's gauges, but what those gauges represent and what they do. Say, say amen to that. So watch the gauge. And you can. How do you judge your own gauge of faith? Well, you, what can you take on in defeat today? Yeah, that's, what can you take on in defeat today? And make sure what you can take on or you think you can, make sure it's not a false sense of security that you can do it based on how much money you got or whatever. What if, You don't know, say, well, I'm going to take on this big, you know, idea over here. I'm going to do this right here. And you got in your back of your mind, you know, I got the money to do it. Well, what if God told you to give all your money away and then do it? He ain't getting nothing out of that, did yeah. it? But what if he did? I'm not saying he told you to it. I'm just saying, what if he said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that? Because that's what he tells me all the time. He's saying, no, give that away and let me do it for you. Yeah. And I'm like, Lord, I got the money right now. Let me do it myself because I, I can trust me. <laughs> you better not trust you. You better trust God. Yeah. See, so you have to make that decision. Which of the virgins are you tonight? The wise or the foolish? See what you can take on and don't fall asleep spiritually. First Thessalonians, just jot it down because of time. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. Paul says, don't go to sleep. We don't need to be of those that sleep. We need to be awake in these hours. This is not the hour for compromising, but it's the hour for staying ready. Amen? Father, as tonight we receive that word, I just pray it goes into the good ground of our heart and we receive it that we realize there is a devil that would try to pull us out of the wise to the foolish level. But we're going to be strong and stand strong. Go ahead and stand up with me in prayer, would you? We're going to be those that stand strong in the word I declare in the name of Jesus that not one person in this room tonight or listening by audio or media some other way later on down the run. Anybody that's setting their heart on this will not be among the foolish virgins in Jesus' name. Say this with me. Say, I am wise. I'm wise. I have the wisdom of God in me. I have the wisdom of God in me. Now, now I want you, I'm going to lead you through a right to confession now, but I want you to say this and hear yourself say it because the devil has to listen. Say, according to 1 Corinthians. According to 1 Corinthians. Jesus has made unto me righteousness, righteousness, sanctification, sanctification, and wisdom. wisdom. He's wisdom in me, and I'll not compromise that wisdom. wisdom. I'm wise in the Lord, Lord, and I'm not foolish. foolish. In Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen. Amen. High five somebody and say, I'm glad you're among the wise tonight, (laughs) amen. Amen. Say, I'm not going to be moved by the foolishness of this world.